0: Join our regularly scheduled program, Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio already in progress.
1: And a super young age, and they're presented with this world that is not real, you know, what they're seeing through that screen. Unfortunately, it really is affecting the way they think, the way they interact with their peers, the way they make decisions. And so, I mean, I really want to encourage, you know, parents and and godparents and grandparents to try to make sure that there's a balance. I'm not saying that screens are all bad. They're a tool, right. right? You know, Fulton Jean talks about how, you know, like like things are meant to be used and people are meant to be loved. And so we can take technology, I mean, that's how we're connecting today, right, Teresa? and use it mm-hmm. for good things. Exactly, sure. But, but, but just like you have to teach your kid how to, you know, properly ride a bike and how to cook safely in the kitchen, you have to teach them how to properly use social media, how to use technology, because there's just not it's not it's not just to open the whole world up to them when they're so young. So yeah, some balance, some instruction on like how to how to actually use the technology well and then to be involved. Like, you know, parents need to be right there with knowing what their kids are doing, what they are seeing and talking openly about it. Um, and not letting that get in the way of, you know, family and relationships and face to face friendships because that is something that unfortunately has taken a huge hit because Social media is easier, right? You have the instant gratification. It's, you know, you don't have to put yourself out there in the same way. And so, unfortunately, face-to-face relationships are definitely suffering because of it.
2: So what age group do you deal with? How, how young are your students, Catherine?
1: So I teach junior high, 6th through 8th grade. But then I hope oh
2: it all different ages. Oh. <laughs>
1: that's,
2: a, that's a good age.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love my junior highers. But I understand that, you know, every age has its difficulties and its blessings. So, yep, I, I teach junior high.
2: And have you always taught junior high or have you taught younger or older kids? Or I've mostly been in that that range when, when in my um, in my career, yep. So are you seeing, how are we doing, do you think, with especially with teens, uh, how are we doing post-COVID, do you think, with attention span, mm-hmm. with loneliness, and with dealing with these issues and getting them back to the basics? Because it was so tough in so many ways, especially for young people.
1: Yeah, it was. So I also do with youth, deal with youth ministry in my parish and my diocese. And, I think we're just kind of scratching the surface of seeing how that has affected kids because, I mean, it was huge, right? I mean, you and I could talk about all the ways that it affected us, but kids didn't Mm -hmm. necessarily know any different. So for, you know, some of my students, you know, know, they haven't had a normal school year until this year for, you know, several years back. So there's just a lot of formation, and, and we already talked about the need for, you know, social skills and how those are lacking. And so, unfortunately, some of those things... Not just academics, but I'm, I'm more concerned about, like, the social skills, their, their emotional state, all of those things and how they are affected by the different shutdowns and, and kids who weren't at school and things like that.
2: We're talking with the author of uh, the beautiful book, Through the Year with Mary, Ponder and Pray Together with Children. The author is Catherine Bogger, who is also a teacher, so she knows very well how to deal with young people. So before we let you go, any final suggestions for parents who may be struggling with uh, attention span or really trying to get their, their children interested in the faith? I mean, how do you start if you haven't done reading with them before, Catherine? What would you suggest?
1: Yeah, just take it small. Like, like do, you know, it doesn't have to be this great big huge thing that, you know, suddenly, you know, you're reading the Bible three times a day. Like, do a little bit before bedtime. Grab grab something like my book or or, or the Bible itself and just stick it in your van. And while you're stuck in the school pickup line, pick a passage and, and read it and talk about it. Don't be afraid to be like, wow, that's a great question. I'm, I'm going to have to look that up and I'll let you know what I find out. You don't have to know everything to have those good discussions about Scripture with your kids. Don't be afraid to dive in.
2: So when do you expect your next book to come out? Well you're working on it now? Yeah, hopefully
1: this adds So we'll see, though. We always, you know, fingers crossed in the publishing world and how that
2: all flies out. So. Oh, yeah, I know it well. <laughs> been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. But, hey, yep. great job. Really appreciate it. And so appreciate all the great work of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. This is really a good tool, especially for right now. As we're wrapping up the Marian month of May, check it out. Through the year with Mary, ponder and pray together with children. It's been delightful to speak with Catherine, who's the author of this book. She's also a teacher, so she knows how to work and deal with young people and she loves them very much. That's why she's still teaching. Thanks, Catherine. Yeah, thanks, Teresa. Have a great day. You too. All right, and we'll be right back once again. The book is Through the Year with Mary, Ponder and Pray Together with Children. It's really a pretty book and easy to follow, and I think it will keep young people's attention. I know it caught my attention in terms of the artwork and the way it's laid out, so I think it did a really, really good job with this. So again, St. Paul's Center for Biblical Theology, and the book, once again, is Through the Year with Mary, Ponder and Praying with Children, st paul Center.com. we'll be right back
0: the most original and exclusive catholic content is on ewtn radio
2: one time
1: somebody said to me why don't you air these people and i said no because i don't think they're catholic he says by what right do you have to say that i said i own the network
3: Angelica Live Classics. Tonight, 80s turn on EWTN Television and Radio. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria Mutual Funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria Mutual Funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit
0: AveMariaFunds.com. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com.
3: You and your spouse are invited to cruise with Royal Caribbean this January, along with Father Michael Schmidt, Archbishop Naumann, Al, Teresa, Dr. Ray, and many others. Get away with your spouse on a fun, relaxing, and rejuvenating cruise with inspiring speakers, daily mass, and endless memorable experiences. Father Michael Schmidt's comments You'll encounter an amazing community of couples and speakers, and most importantly, you'll encounter Christ. More details at AveMariaRadio.net. Just click the travel link.
0: Missed the name of the guest on today's Catholic Connection or his or her book? Log on to AveMariaRadio.net. Click Archive in the upper right corner. Select and search Catholic Connection and explore from there. You can hear past episodes, delve into bios, read related articles, purchase books, and find links to websites, all by clicking on the show notes from each hour. Browse AveMariaRadio.net and bookmark it today. That's AveMariaRadio.net. You're listening
4: to the best of Catholic Connection with Teresa
3: Tamia.
2: Fifteen minutes past the hour, we know that May is a beautiful Marian month, but how many of us realize there are so many beautiful feast days dedicated to Our Lady in the month of August as well? Most of us think, of course, of the Assumption, but there are several others. We'll have a little catechism test this morning with our very own Father Mitch Pacwa from EWTN Radio and Television, and Father, always great to speak with you. This is a beautiful topic. I love talking about Our Lady, and I love apologetics and helping folks understand the beauty of the Marian teaching. So, let's start with. I mean, most people think of August for the month, obviously of the Assumption. That happens mm-hmm. on the fifteenth, but right. before that, there's another feast day. Correct? Mm-hmm.
4: Um, there's the uh, what's called the Dormition of the Mother of God, or the Dormition of the Virgin. Um, this is a term. Dormition is a Latin term.
2: Yeah, for sleeping.
4: Yeah, me yeah. falling asleep, mm-hmm. and, uh, the, and the in uh, the the Koimesis is the Greek word for it, and they this idea is that the Blessed Virgin Mary passed away without any pain. That's the idea. Uh, you know, death is frequently painful. If you've uh, been with people as they die, you oftentimes see them having. Difficulty, um, and pain, and and the uh, you know the even of the soul from the body. The the body and soul go together, and uh, you know we're not supposed to feed ghosts or something. Um, the body and soul go together, and the body is not merely some prison of the soul, the way the Greeks thought, but it's the unity of the person, and that separation, even in. Uh, some you know relatively uh, simple diseases or di- mm-hmm. simple reasons for dying um, still often has an experience of struggle, uh, but Our Lady would have uh, died without uh, any struggle. Now this is a, uh, the, the Catholic Church has never defined you know uh, dogmatically that Our Lady died before the assumption. Mm-hmm. Many people think uh, that, uh, you know, piously, that Our Lady was just taken up to heaven without having passed through death. But the um, in the earliest church, uh, you see that that's not what was taught. Uh, in imitation of our blessed Lord, who like her, was without sin, of course, Um, and uh, was completely innocent, but he died and then rose from the dead. Mm -hmm. So also the Blessed Virgin Mary uh, uh, passed away. She died, but without any pain. And she was uh, in the earliest versions of this. There's nothing uh, stated in the Bible. This comes from the sacred tradition. And in the Eastern Church, the tradition of her assumption is ascribed to two disciples of the apostles. One was St. Ignatius of Antioch, mm-hmm. and the other is St. Dionysius of uh, Athens. Uh, Dionysius was baptized by St. Paul, and uh Saint Peter, I believe, was the one who baptized Saint Ignatius of Antioch, while he, uh, Peter was living in Antioch after 42 A.D. So um, this he stayed. He stayed in Antioch from 42 to about 53 or so, uh, and and in fact, that's why the Patriarch of Antioch has as one of his titles Peter. Hmm. Uh, You know, the Maronite Patriarch is the Patriarch of Antioch and all the East, and he is called Bishara Peter. And every uh, Patriarch is called Peter because of him. So Ignatius, you know, grew up in that earliest church community uh, to which Paul had been as well. And that's where we get this from. In fact, in the Eastern icons, usually see, St. Ignatius and St. Dionysius uh, portrayed in the icon just ab- uh, above the Apostles to show that they came the next generation. And the Apostles according to the earliest tradition carried her body to a tomb in Jerusalem. And the church of the Dormition Such uh, there, there's, there's, a there's beautiful
2: church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: well, there are two churches. The, the right. Dormition Abbey Right. is a Benedictine Abbey absolutely stunning and uh th- it was it was built over a much older church uh that the Persians had destroyed uh in uh, around 610 or so and the this church uh ha- is uh, you can go down you know the, the below the main church mm-hmm. and you're at this level of the first century,
2: right? Yes, mm-hmm.
4: and they—that's where it's believed that Our Lady had lived with Saint John, who had stayed in Jerusalem, as we see in Acts of the Apostles, and she died. And the uh, the the date, the the year of her death, is usually given uh, as th- either three years after Our Lord's resurrection, or Uh, 11 years Uh, those are the it's not clear uh so again the church doesn't define it but she died early and then the apostles gathered to her and they buried her in this tomb and the tomb of our lady is on the other side it's on the uh uh, across the street from the garden of gethsemane Mm
3: -hmm. in
4: the church of all nations
3: right that is
4: a first century jewish christian church the jewish christians were worshiping and celebrating uh liturgy in that cave uh back in the first century and you see her tomb there and the assumption would is uh, a couple days later um and again the tradition says that the apostles uh after they had placed her in their um you know, the Lord asked Peter, what should I do, and he said it's appropriate to uh, bring her to heaven, body, and soul, like
2: said. Father, one thing I want to mention before we break, you have about two minutes for the break, it's really super mm-hmm. important, I know you're getting to it, but it's a very, I think, mm-hmm. apologetic point, where, and Tim Staples has a great summary on this, on Catholic Answers, by the way, mm-hmm. and I know you've written extensively on this, is the fact that there were no relics of Mary, which right. which backs up her assumption, mm-hmm. because... Uh, and we're talking about the Dormition now, but we're moving next to the assumption. But if you think about it, and anyone who's gone to Rome or Jerusalem, you see so many of the tombs of the saints and how they actually, religious orders would fight over the bones of the great saints, right? And, mm-hmm. and of course, mm-hmm. in Rome, you right. have the Scavi which takes you to the bones of St. Peter's, and you have St. Paul, and you have so many others in the big churches and, and all the different uh, tombs. Uh, for example, the relics of St. Catherine of Siena in Rome and in Siena. Uh, and so there are no relics of Mary that have ever been Found and certainly, if there were relics of the Mother of God, there would be a church built around. Even though there are Mary, Mary shrines around the world, but Absolutely. no relics, right? And this is yeah, exactly. And here's
4: uh, the, you know, the point. You know, we have relics of the apostles, right? And this is a very important part of our church tradition. But the relics of Our Lady do not exist. Uh, no no bones. And, and you see how, you know, for instance, in the description of the martyrdom of um, St. Polycarp, as soon as the fires were cooled off uh, after he was mart- <laughs> martyred, the uh, disciples of Polycarp ran and gathered up his relics. Right. This was uh, very important, but for Our Lady, nothing. Despite her being so prominent, Mm-hmm. in the New Testament. So this is something that is considered very important um, and part of the evidence for the, uh, uh, the the mission or the rising again of our Blessed Mother.
2: Yeah, I, I, I just love that because I think it's, it shows why the Church teaches what she teaches and backs up of course our claim. More with Father Mitch Pacwa on the feasts we celebrate for our Blessed Mother in the month of August. We just spoke about the Dormition, which is August 13th. Next up, the Assumption, then the Coronation, and then the Queenship of Mary. And hopefully we can get all through this. And if not, we'll talk more about it next week. Father Mitch Pacwa joins us every week for our Cultural Connections. Stay tuned.
1: Father Benedict Crochelle.
5: I usually, I'm operating on the gifts of the Holy Spirit when I don't feel well, even when I'm annoyed, when I'm down and out. During my recovery from the automobile accident, immense numbers of people wrote to me and sent me emails, 50,000, and they told me how helpful they thought my talks on EWTN were to them. I'm delighted. But I want you to know, I'm nobody's fool. The talks that were helpful, the sentences that were helpful, the phrases that were helpful came from the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And the styrofoam packaging came from me. I did that. And styrofoam doesn't amount to very much.
0: EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic.
1: The following is a medical moment.
2: Hi, I'm Bobby Schindler, brother of Terry Schiavo. An advanced care planning document, or ACP, is one kind of advanced directive providing a written statement of a person's desired medical treatments in the future. A recent study titled, What's Wrong with Advanced Care Planning? concluded that there is a gap between hypothetical scenarios and real world decision making. Another study found that 80% of emergency room physicians misinterpreted an ACP as a do not resuscitate order. Another issue is that any disagreement between medical professionals and the patient's healthcare agent regarding specific ACP language may undermine the patient's ultimate wishes. Your best bet is never to sign an advanced care planning document, such as a Pulse form, when admitted to a hospital. And make sure your healthcare durable power of attorney has a provision which invalidates any previously signed ACP.
1: This medical moment brought to you by MyLifeAngels.com.
3: with Teresa Tomia.
2: Brush up on those apologetics when it comes to Our Lady and never be afraid to defend the teachings of the church. Don't think the church has thought about this over 2,000 years? Oh, I beg to differ. I love, love, love looking into apologetics. And defending these beautiful teachings because they make so much sense. Okay, we started with the Dormition of Our Lady, which is August 13th, and now we move to the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which is Mm -hmm. August 15th. So Father, Father Mitch Paco joining us on Thursdays, as he always does. This is a very, well, they're all important feast days, but a lot of emphasis is put on the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin, right?
4: Right, and, you know, this, um, why the Assumption different from, uh, from or distinct from the, um, uh, a Dormition, because she was not buried the same day as her um, uh, death, which is not unusual. Uh, in some places, they are buried the same day, uh, but also uh, oftentimes buried on a different day. And So this is why the, the two feasts, and that in her case, uh, and it's, it gets that one of the points that i would made, that um, she is uh, placed in a tomb like her son, but the tomb uh, doesn't hold her down any more than it held her son. And I, one of my Protestant friends had uh, said to me uh, something uh, very uh, interesting. He said, oh, I get it you all think that it's just like the assumption of Elijah in the Old Testament. And that made sense to him then, that we honor the Blessed Mother uh, as having been uh, raised uh, or assumed into heaven, just like you see in the Bible, so that some uh, evangelicals can understand this in light of that experience in the Old Testament. And then it made more sense to
2: him. Yeah, and I think, too, again, if you think about the fact, just go back to the fact that anyone who is familiar, let's say I'm sure a lot of Protestants, even though they don't have the same appreciation for the relics, if they think about it, that there are relics of the saints everywhere. You and I were talking during the break, you have St. Andrew, whose body... Is at Saint Andrews on the Amalfi Coast, and you have Saint Paul, whose relics are both in Saint John Lateran and in Saint Paul Outside the Walls, and you have—I mean—you can go on and on and go through the list because that was extremely important. And so, wouldn't the Mother of God be important in order to have her relics had she not been yes. assumed? Correct. Yeah,
4: and yeah, and you know, the the importance of the relics uh, again shows up in sacred scripture.
2: Right. Right. With
4: um, you know the burial of. The prophet Elisha Mm
2: -hmm.
4: that uh, as soon as his uh, there was a man being buried uh, there was a Midianite raid and so they just tossed this man's body into the still open grave of the prophet Elisha and as soon as it uh, uh, hit the uh, ground um, then Uh, or hit the the bones of Elisha, the man came back to life. Mm
2: -hmm. So
4: we see the importance of relics uh, in the the sacred scripture, you know, and their effectiveness. So, of course, the early church treated this with the utmost respect. They they cherished the relics of uh, the saints, and oftentimes sought to uh, their intercession for things. Whereas with Our Lady, there are no relics.
2: Mm-hmm. And even in the New Testament, we see Peter's shadow and Paul's handkerchief having an impact, well, right? Yeah, yeah.
4: exactly. Now, those would be uh, second and third class relics. Right. And our Lord's tassel. Right. Uh, when uh, the woman with the hemorrhage touches his tassel.
2: But there's still relics, uh, Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly.
4: The yeah. the mm-hmm. and so we we have all three kinds. First class from the body of the dead person, the dead saint, and then uh second class things that they own, like our Lord's Tassel and third class are things that touch them. Uh and so we still use all three because it's right. in the Bible.
2: Yeah, and it's an, it's scriptural as you just said. All right, so now we have the coronation on the 18th of August and the queenship of Mary. And I know you can do this, but we only have about four minutes left.
4: <laughs> yeah, that one. You know, when we go to heaven, it's not just okay. Yeah, we just sort of hang out and have a good time. Uh, no, no, you're crowned, and in the book of Revelation, it speaks of people being crowned. That you are royalty, and that comes. To uh, you know, fruition in heaven, and so here you see the crowning of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Queen of Heaven and Earth, plus the description in the Book of Revelation of Our Lady crowned with uh, twelve stars. Uh, you know, you know, the, the woman who gives birth to the uh, male child that will. Um, you know, be the the one who rules the nations. Uh, this this crowning of Our Lady is extremely important.
2: Yes. So, in terms of we have the coronation and then the queenship, which kind of tie together, right. don't they?
4: Well, they well, that's what you do to queens. You know, you crown them. You know, so yeah, that's a. Uh, and here's one of the things about the feast of the queenship of Mary is that this is also celebrated as a day on which to make a dedication to her. Mm. It's asking her. That's one of the reasons the feast was established. It's the octave of the uh, assumption. But this is a day that if you've done the consecration or dedication to Our Lady by St. Louis de Montfort or one of the others approved in the Church— that this is a day to make that dedication or a day to renew it and, and that's a very important part of this feast.
2: What I love is if you look at the Old Testament Father and you're a scripture scholar so you're the expert on this but I love the fact if you look in Isaiah or if you look in the Old Testament and other sections how important the Queen Mother is right?
4: Mm-hmm. Exactly that well you know most boys have a special relationship with their mother. Mm-hmm. And this applies to our Lord. You know, this is the, um, you know, the, the woman that nursed him and raised him, that, that special bond between us. Uh, well, girls have a, another kind of bond with their mothers than boys. Um, in our case, our mothers are normally the first woman we ever love. And he sets the model for womanhood for a boy. And Freud was a little bit crazy. But it is true that you have this uh, quality of uh, re- relationship between a boy and his mother, uh, not to go off in a Freudian, goofy uh, you know, tangent, mm-hmm. but this is what sets the norm for Uh, the woman that a boy wants to love the rest of
2: his life. Amen. And I really would encourage people to look at what the church has to say. Look up the teachings on the Queenship of Mary, the Coronation, the Dormition, the Assumption, and see the beautiful definition and the history of it as Father Mitch quickly outlined for us this morning. We could talk to him on this forever. I also encourage you to check out his great work and his many books on scripture and also his program on both radio and TV. Father Mitch Pacwa, good Lord willing, catch up with you next week on another Thursday. Stay tuned.
6: Do you have a lonely brain? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. Loneliness, only enhanced during the pandemic, can actually help alter certain brain patterns, which can lead to various mental health issues like anxiety and depression. Your physical health can be challenged. Even with social media, loneliness is described as an epidemic. Loneliness can be complex, and there's a stigma associated with it. But mindfulness training, what you and I may call quiet and holy time, has been shown to combat loneliness. Pray more. Breathe deeply. Increase your list of friends. Even force being more social. Don't be afraid to gather or appropriately touch others. A hug or a fist bump can signal that you are present with somebody. Let's not forget our priests and religious sisters and brothers. When was the last time you hugged your priest? If you sent somebody you know is lonely, ask them how you can help. Check out the Journey Strong tab for more on the lonely brain at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net.
0: Miracles are miracles because they're different than regular daily life. A miracle is a reminder that something beyond nature can act within nature. Miracles are meant to open our eyes that more is always going on than just the normal humdrum of the daily life. Miracles are supposed to make us realize that our moral choices are impacting an invisible world that once in a while breaks through into our workaday world. The Blessed Mother predicted the miracle of the sun, and she made it clear that she was using it as proof of the truth of her message. In other words, when the sun stops dancing and you get back to church, to work, to home, remember what's at stake when you pray the rosary.
6: Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio.
2: We keep on keeping on. Keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and we keep doing what God calls us to do. And that's what Chris Faddis does. He's a president of Solidarity Health at Share. And Chris, never a dull moment. And unfortunately, I don't think you're going to be out of work anytime soon because we have—we were just talking about this during the break. We have a lot of work uh, before us. But interesting reports that are coming out now, on, and this is increasing. We hear more and more on this. The Biden administration's woke policies are driving doctors out of traditional health care. Now, the numbers are staggering the percentages here. So do fill us in, please, and thanks for joining us.
7: Yeah, I mean, what's what's amazing is, you know, there's a model of, of health care that's, that's popped up over the last decade or so called direct primary care. And direct primary care is a, a model where people pay, you know, essentially a subscription monthly, you know, monthly amount to, for, for them or their family, and they get a certain amount of visits every year and 24-7 access to the doctor by phone, those kind of things. And it's a, it's a neat model. It used to be called concierge medicine. But we're seeing more and more Catholic doctors are starting to, to leave, quote-unquote, the system um, of healthcare care and actually move to this model of, of direct primary care because they're they're fed up with, you know, some of the craziness of the large systems, the woke medicine policies that they're being forced to. Uh, and ultimately, you know, at a minimum, is just fed up with not being able to treat their patients and spend time with their patients. And, and this, this direct primary care model is actually really providing a great benefit to individuals because you have a doctor who's dedicated to you. They're not overloaded with patients. Uh, Many in the direct primary care world say that doctors are happier in that model, (laughs) uh, which I think is because they're able to take care of their patients.
2: So where do you see all this going? Is it going to get worse before it gets better, do you think?
7: Yeah, I mean, as far as the woke medicine policies, it's definitely going to continue. I mean, the Biden administration and several state governments are pushing and pushing so many of these policies, you know, we've seen Xavier Becerra of HHS threaten that, you know, he he wants to take take away Medicare payment for any health care provider, hospital physician, facility that does not participate in gender surgeries. Um, his own administration, you know, his own health and human services has proposed regulations that would, would deem it discrimination to not provide those services. So it would it would force doctors and hospitals to do that, including our beloved health, you know, Catholic hospitals. So it, it won't, it's not going to get better before it gets worse. The, the good news is we do have the courts on our side right now. So while that's not the ultimate design of our country that we should have to fight for our rights as American citizens, it, it you know, luckily we, we have a favorable court right now. So we have some time, but the reality is, Teresa, we, we've got to do more to build up and and promote this idea of life affirming or Catholic health healthcare uh, to, to build a structure around this so that if, if these policies do go into effect, that we have some sort of option.
2: Right. Talking with Chris Fattis, president of Solidarity Health Share, about the issues that doctors are facing, Catholic doctors and others concerned about this gender ideology. Yeah, the the, the ironic thing about this is that it's not even health care. It's just like abortion when they call abortion health care. Gender, they they call it gender affirming care, and there's nothing affirming about it. You have places, and you know this, we talked about this last time, places over in Europe, a number of them, you've got the UK, you've got Finland, you've got Norway, France. They've put a kibosh on these so-called transitioning surgeries because they realize that they're extremely harmful and they're not getting the results that they promised.
7: Yeah, I mean, I think that you know the, the reality is that the the science, quote unquote, science uh, around this medicine is is completely unfounded. I mean, there's so many doctors who would like to speak out on this, and they do not believe that this is good medicine, and yet they're being forced to be quiet and you know those kind of things. And, and but the reality is, those who are brave enough and able to speak out have made it clear that this is not scientifically sound. We certainly know it's not sound from a moral doctrine standpoint, and, and just just own understanding of, of what how God created us, um, but I think that that's a that's a big issue. It, it this, this is not these are not procedures who have been, that have been studied. There's certainly not long-term evidence um, of success, and there's you know there really is no reduction. one of the reasons I think that's promised about these surgeries is that you'll reduce the depression and suicide among people with gender dysphoria, but that is actually proven to be false, and, and unfortunately. The people on the other side are, are trying to hide those facts. And, um, you know, we need to do what, what is life-affirming care. I mean, I think this is an important discussion, Teresa, that we as Catholics are in a good position to lead. Life-affirming care would say that we, we don't cut off the body or mutilate the body or, or manipulate the body. We, we work with the body that God created and gave us. We work with the mind that God created and gave us. Uh, and we, we help restore someone to wholeness. That's what life-affirming care should be, and that's what we need in this country, Uh, and we as Catholics are in a great position to help offer that.
2: So, Chris, how important, and this is huge to me, and I try to get people to really discern when they hear phrases and semantics, and how important is the wording? Because you just said something, this life-affirming care versus what you hear out there, you know, reproductive care, uh, and also, of course, gender-affirming care. But life-affirming is what we are. All about being the dignity of the human person. How important is that?
7: I, I think it's incredibly important. I think I think it's incredibly important to draw a line uh, and make it clear what I mean. It, it just you had made a comment too about healthcare, right? I mean, what is healthcare? What is medicine? Um, and and those things need to be defined in in a way that that is in line with the anthropology of the, of the human person, which we know as Catholics to be made in the image and likeness of God the um, destined for their creator, with the ultimate vocation of heaven, right? So, so defining that and saying, okay, what, is it, what does it mean to provide good medicine? What is life-affirming health care?
4: Um,
7: and, it, it, you know, what's interesting is we don't have to invent anything new, Teresa. I mean, if you think about, you know, the, the beauty of the Hippocratic Oath, which doctors no longer say the Hippocratic Oath when they when they become doctors. Uh, but there's a movement right now. Uh, called the Alliance of Hippocratic Medicine that is actually starting to say we need to go back to Hippocratic Medicine. Um, and it's, it's actually a wonderful movement, a combination of combination of certainly pro-life and life affirming doctors, but also doctors who are maybe not Catholic or Christian or necessarily pro-life, but they believe in this need of Hippocratic Medicine do no harm. Uh, so it's an important thing that, that these words, that we, we, we not only define them, but we clarify them, and we speak out when you hear about what I would call life-denying medicine. Taking someone's um, you know, body parts, to me, is life-denying medicine. Certainly, mm-hmm. a woman with breast cancer, there might be a true need. But when somebody just wants to take those parts off, we have to affirm the dignity, the anthropology, who this person is, and give them life-affirming medicine.
2: Well, the thing that 's so scary about that I was telling you during the break about this situation now over in in Europe, where this coffee company is doing pulling another bud light where they 're using this ad of a woman supposedly transitioning and it 's a cartoon image, and you could tell it 's a woman by the facial uh, expression and the lips because there's lipstick on it, and on the uh, and also on the chest, there are scars from a double mas- from a double mastectomy. And women in Scotland and Great Britain are, you know, who've had mastectomies are coming up and saying, you can't mock this. Basically, they're saying that this is a positive thing. And this is on someone, this image is on someone who's choosing to have this, not for life saving or life affirming reasons. So we're to the point now where surgeries that normally would be, right, life-affirming, as in someone having to get, unfortunately, very drastic, but a life-affirming decision to have a mastectomy versus promoting it as something to do to your body that's a good thing. This is how crazy it's gotten, Chris.
7: Right, right. Yeah, it it really is. I mean, I've been, when I've seen things like that, I mean, knowing this space and having, you know, talked to and been with so many, Families who are going through those those really heart wrenching surgeries for cancer. You know the reality is you know when people have a mastectomy, when someone has to have a, an ostomy put in, you know for a colon cancer, when when you when when people are forced to do these life altering procedures because to save their lives. to save their know, lives, right? Mm-hmm. They, they are they go through a very severe sometimes not all the time but many times go through a severe. Depression, they, they often need social work and counseling to help them through that process, right? Because you're altering the body. You're changing the, their, their makeup and, and their identity is so attached to what they've seen their whole life. And so, you know, you have to work hard just to help that person through that transition. And they certainly come through it. It's a beautiful thing. But to then to see that we're doing this to children and young people and we're doing this just over a thought of, you know, feeling inadequate or whatever it is. You know the, the level of mental distress that we're causing, even though we think we're doing something good, it, it can't be, it can't be all positive. And if someone's already dealing with mental health issue, it's only going to make that worse. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it is a, a mockery for these for folks. You know, you think about the, the amount of women I know who have had to have a mastectomy. I mean, right. none of this is easy for them. Uh, right. And I think it would be a mockery if I if I were in their situation to watch these things be talked about like it's no big deal.
2: Now, I know you said earlier that, that it's going to get worse before it gets better, but being that there is a lot of public pushback against this craziness that's out there, do you think that we're going to start to see the pendulum swing in the other direction eventually? I mean, there's so much. People are yeah, really speaking up, and are. not everyone agrees with us either, you know, faith-wise. There's a lot of people just out there who are not coming at this from a religious perspective who agree with us.
7: Yeah, you know, and I, I think the pendulum is, is going to swing, especially on the gender issues. I think many on the left... Um, even in some, in some circles of the LGBT community, are not fully on board with it. I think many on the left are seeing kind of the, the insanity of what's being pushed. Where it's going to get worse first is really this, this government, this administration, does not, does not seem to be attached to reality. But I think the fact that we're seeing people of all sides kind of raise their hands and say, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right. You know, I, I think that, that the gender issues will go the right direction. I think we saw have a long way to go on abortion and, and the, other, the other side. Um, but we certainly will see the pendulum swing back, which, which is good. And, and again, this is a great opportunity for us to be standing up and speaking out what we believe is life-affirming medicine, you know, Hippocratic medicine. Let's promote those things. Let's encourage those things. Let's use our dollars to support those things. Absolutely. Because, you know, as mm-hmm. this comes around, who's going to be there standing to help and serve the American public? It's going to be people like us and the doctors that we that we support.
2: We're talking with Chris at Fattis, president of Solidarity Health at Shares. So wrapping up, we have about a minute and a half left. In addition to speaking up and maybe not buying particular products, which I think we've done a really good job of that and making a point, even though so far uh, some of these companies are still digging in their heels, but that's to their own financial demise. What else can concerned Catholics and other Christians do to support the faithful medical community that's trying to have life-affirming care be, be their goal every day when they go to work?
7: Yeah, I mean I, I Teresa, I always say, look you know, definitely it's not easy in every community to be honest, but but look for those Catholic and pro life physicians in your community and do whatever you can to, to, to go not only support them but go to them for your family. I mean I think that's another part of this. We have to protect our families right now. Um, and the kinds of questions that, that the medical community is asking our children if we're not looking are not safe not safe for our children. And so we need to promote that, encourage that, find those doctors. Um, you know, look at those alternatives. The direct primary care option is a great one uh, if you find a Catholic or pro-life direct primary care doctor out there. Uh, the other thing, of course, and, and I don't say this just for Solidarity HealthShare, but looking into health sharing as an alternative to take your family out of this, uh, this medical system is, is a good idea right now. We, mm-hmm. we need to prop up these kind of solutions. Um, certainly, we, we would love to have you at Solidarity, but looking at, at that as an opportunity to, to take your family out of this model, and then, then, you know, you know that you're promoting life-affirming care with everything you do, with your health-sharing dollars, uh, and and also have access to those kind of doctors.
2: Yeah, great advice, Chris. Thanks so much. Always great uh, to have you on. I know that we're uh, dealing with these challenges, but it's nice to know that you're there, offering alternatives for people and supporting the medical community trying to provide life-affirming care. What's the website for Solidar- Solidarity Health Share?
7: Yeah, visit us at Health Share for Life. I'm sorry, Healthcare for Life. Dot org, healthcareforlife.org.
2: Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Great to catch up with you. Thanks for God all bless, you do. 30, so great to talk to you. And we'll be right back on Catholic Connection. Stay tuned.
6: With so much going on in the world, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. What do you need to know today? Stay tuned to crest in the afternoon and Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio as we bring you the day's top stories and conversations from an authentic Catholic perspective.
2: Ciao, amici. Hello, friends. Teresa Tomio here. Ever notice that common sense isn't so common anymore? Each time we check our news feeds or turn on the TV, it seems the world is getting wackier. Well, we desperately need a return to basic common sense. And Rosie Posey, my mom, a street-smart theologian from Jersey City, is just the person we need to help us restore it. So if you need a little bit more help with some common sense or know someone else who needs it, pick out my new book on our store, Everything's Coming Up, Rosie, at AveMariaRadio.net's online store.
0: The first annual Dominican Rosary Pilgrimage, sponsored by the Dominican Friars Foundation, will take place on Saturday, September 30th at the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. This all day event will feature conferences by Father Gregory Pine, Resuscitation of the Rosary, a Fervorino by Father Lawrence Liu, and Mass with Father James Brent as homilist. Join us for this day of prayer to Our Lady. For more information, visit rosarypilgrimage.org. That's rosarypilgrimage.org. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com.
2: I hope you know how much we appreciate your listenership here at the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, as well as the Ave Maria Radio Network and we always say we are all about the resources so just remember anything you hear daily on this show you can check out you can go to for example the EWTM religious catalog through EWTM.com you may also go to the archive section of Catholic Connection at AveMariaRadio.net and all the resources are there for you this is also a great way by the way to witness sometimes if you're challenged by a friend or a loved one on a particular topic and you hear us talking about an issue right that has come up especially right over the holidays or a special occasion you can go to or tell your friend or family member with whom you're discussing something to go to one of these sites and to listen to a program or you can send them to the link to the program and they could hear it for themselves that's why we call Catholic Radio part of being a member of the shy evangelist family, right? Because we do the evangelization for you and you can pass it on. We'll talk to you in the next edition of Catholic connection. Thanks again for listening. You've been
1: listening to Catholic connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic connection is a co-production of Ave Maria radio and EWTN radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.